ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of uh, the Business Book Podcast. And today it is my very special honor uh, to have as a guest a man who has been uh, a virtual mentor of mine for nearly a a decade, even though this is uh, our very first time to to meet. Um, I have on the line uh, Roy Williams, the Wizard of Ads. He is, uh, whenever I first started out in, in copywriting, one of the first books I found uh, that everybody said you have to read if you want to do any kind of copywriting was The Wizard of, of Ads, um, which I didn't realize at the time was a um, was uh, one of the uh, the business books or was the business book of the of the year. I love the book so much I had to get the two other ones, Secret Formulas of the Wizard of Ads, Magic Worlds of the Wizard of Ads. Then I got his book, uh, Accidental Magic. I subscribed to the, the Monday Morning Memo, which has been a, a, a neat kind of whimsical business-oriented um, email that's gone out uh, every Monday morning. I didn't realize until Roy just informed me. It's been going out uh, every Monday uh, without fail for 23 years and uh, kind of hurts my feelings because I've only been subscribed for uh, nine or ten. So I missed a decade, but hopefully I got the good stuff in the in the books. Last year, I finally got a chance to go out uh, to the Wizard Academy, which is this incredible campus uh, just north of Austin. Whenever I went out there, uh, after just a day or so, I described it as uh, Alice in Wonderland meets Richard Branson out west. It is just that incredible of of an experience, um, and I'm looking forward to to getting out there and taking another course. And then uh, I bought uh, while I was out there, I bought two more of Roy's books, Pendulum and Destiny. They are uh, I could I, if it sounds like I'm gushing, it's it's because I, I am. Um, anyway, enough of uh, of of my experience and my uh, adoration of, of Roy. Roy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Well, Derek, I'm really looking forward to hearing from this guy that you're describing. Who, who, who are we going to be talking with today? I'm, I'm really looking forward to meeting this guy too. Yeah, he'll uh, he'll probably show up before too long. Uh, once we I get don't to... know. I don't know. I've never never met that guy. But I'll tell you what. The one thing I do agree with very much, and I didn't I didn't, I didn't know you said this until just now, but. Um, Alice in Wonderland meets Richard Branson out west. That's really good. I really like that. I don't consider myself Richard Branson, but I understand there's a Richard Branson um, audacity about this place, and there's definitely an Alice in Wonderland fantasy about it. Uh, And so people are always floored when they get here. One tiny, tiny correction, and the only reason I mention it is, you said north of Austin. We're actually on the south southwest of Austin. So I would hate for somebody passing through Austin to head to the north side of town thinking they were going to find us. No, we're like 45 minutes from the north side of town. We're in deep southwest Austin on a plateau. It's 900 feet above the city looking down on, on Austin, Texas from 900 feet above it. That's a gorgeous view. Um, uh, I don't know why I was thinking uh, – North, because whenever I went, uh, whenever I went out to Austin, um, also went out. Anybody who's going to Austin has to go to the uh, the Salt Lick, a great barbecue out there. And you have to pass by the yeah. yeah, You have to pass by 
the uh, Wizard Academy to to get out there. So uh, maybe that's a, a landmark some people can use. Yeah, yeah. we're south, just about a mile and a half from the Salt Lake. Which was those are great barbecue joint. I got excited the other day because they're putting in a, a restaurant here. Um, mm-hmm. I said, "Oh my God, the the the, the barbecue place in Austin is expanding out here to Baton Rouge." But it was the salt grass, not the salt licks. So. Oh, yeah. I tell you, Baton Rouge is a delightful town. I've been there a few times, and uh, one of my very closest friends uh, played for LSU, played football, and he's in Los Angeles now, but. I was corresponding with him early, earlier this morning by email named Roy Lachlan, if anybody is familiar. Yeah, and he was raised there, and, and he, he's still very much a Baton Rouge boy in L.A. Well, from L.A. to L.A. Yep, there you go. Hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, whenever we tell people, yeah, we're from L.A., but uh, the accent kind of throws them, so we have to go ahead. And... <laughs> we mean the Louisiana L.A. <laughs> huh. um, Roy, you know, one of the, the things that um, I, I love to, to help uh, people with is, is trying to get ideas out of their head and, and get them on to, to paper. And, and one of the things that people uh, are always worried about is if they know enough to, to write a book. And I have to continually encourage people that if they've lived, and especially if they're thinking about a business book, if they've been out in the workforce for uh, you know ten years or more, then they absolutely know enough to to write a book. You know, I'll tell you what, Derek. Um, this morning, I stumbled across a quote from Paul Gauguin. Now, Paul Gauguin was uh, an impressionistic painter about this time time as a Cezanne. And Monet and those guys, okay? He was French. But what he said was, um, don't follow the masters. The masters didn't become masters because they followed someone else. They became masters because they went their own direction. And I said to myself, well, that's really true of books too. And so what I would tell people is, you know, don't try to write a book that's already been written. Now, you don't think you have anything to say, But if you say something that you believe, or it's an assumption that you have, or it's a theory that you have, or it's just a pet technique that you have, and you write it down, you're going to have some other stuff that occurs to you that you're going to write down, and pretty soon what you're going to find is all these different little thoughts that you've written down. And I I actually write mine down on the back of restaurant receipts and stuff them in my wallet. And then after... Several weeks, I'll get out all the restaurant receipts with little thoughts scribbled on the back of them, and I'll lay them out. And Derek, every time, 100% of the time, I think these are disjointed ideas that have nothing to do with each other. I've just had these really random thoughts going through my head. But when I pull out these receipts and look at all these little scribbled notes I've made to myself, I always realize, oh my gosh, my mind has been churning in a particular direction that I didn't even realize. My unconscious mind... I've been kind of turning this over in my head, and every one of these things, when you arrange them in a certain order, is definitely connected. And then that becomes a thing. So what I'm saying is you don't want to simply read business books and then echo what you've read. I'll tell you what that reminds me of. I have friends that went to one too many Tony Robbins seminars, and then they thought they were going to be – you know what I'm talking about? Then they decided they're going to be Tony Robbins Jr., and I'm going, no, no, no. 
I'm not looking, and nobody's looking, for a bad imitation of Tony Robbins. You know, you've got your own mojo, you've got your own stuff, and if you don't think it's very good, then it's because you know yourself too well. I mean, <laughs> people, people, that have never, people that have never seen that or heard that, they're going to go, wow, that's really interesting. And so the key is to start collecting little stuff in little amounts and keeping it in a place where you can find it and then when you sit down, you kind of say, does any of this make any sense? Or kind of could it be structured in such a way that, you know, different ideas lead to other ideas? And just because you've never seen or heard or read a book like the one that you seem to be writing, hey, that's good news. That's wonderful news. If you've never heard of anybody saying anything like this before because it's your own just crazy theories and thoughts, okay, that's the very best kind of new book. Boy, that that validates uh, something that I, I've uh, I've been preaching for a, a little bit to, to authors, and and I first found the idea in uh, Stephen King's book on on writing. He was relating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a story of an interview uh, that he had with a journalist, and he was telling, much like you're saying, that that the ideas for for his books, he believes stories are not things that we create, but things that we discover, that they are buried in the substrata of our subconscious. Because even when we're uh, asleep, even whenever we're thinking about other things, our subconscious is still working on on all of these ideas and, and mashing things together and, and putting this with, with that. And it's our job not to try to write a, a book, but to try to delve into what our subconscious has been working on and extract that. Uh, he said it's like getting a fossil out of the ground, and our, our job is to extract it as, as intact as possible as we're, we're bringing it out. And that's exactly how I think books should, should be written. It should be um, something valuable, something maybe not something unique in, in the, the, the core idea, but unique at least in the way that you present it unique in the stories that you bring to the table, unique Absolutely. in your on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you'll have certain little phrases that you use privately. Write those down in the book. If it's a little pet phrase you have for a, a particular idea or belief or circumstance, you know. Um, I think in, in one of my books I talked about a story uh, my dad one time when I was little. He he took a trip to New Orleans. It's the first time he'd ever been there, and this would have been back literally in the early 60s. And down in the French Quarter, he's, he heard crack, pop, pow, and it sounded almost like gunfire. And he turned and looked, and it was a man uh, shining shoes. And you know a lot of your listeners may not be old enough to remember those days, but at a shoe shine stand out on the sidewalk, um, when a guy's buffing, you know, with his with his with his rag, his towel, and he'd be shining those shoes, and he'd pop that rag, and it would crack like a whip. And Dad said, "Man, I'm gonna walk over there. Those are probably the shiniest shoes in the world." And then he got over there, and he said, "It's just a regular old shoe shine. It wasn't nothing special. That guy was just popping the rag. He's popping the rag." And so the reason he told me the story is because one of his salesmen had come in telling some big story about some big sale he was about to close. And then whenever he left, his name was Dick. And whenever Dick walked out of the office, Dad said, ah, Dick ain't going to sell crap. He's just popping the rag. And I said, and I said, what, popping the what? What does that mean? And that's when he told me the story. 
Now, here's what's interesting. Your listeners, a lot of them have little phrases like that, popping the rag or some little silly thing they say sometimes. And what happens is that's what makes a book enjoyable. When you have little stuff that you don't think anybody's going to understand or anybody's going to like it or care about it or maybe it's not valuable enough or it doesn't sound professional, oh, just shut up. Write that down. Write that down. People are going to like it because they've never heard it before. And, um, you know, you don't need courage to write a book. You just need hunger. You just need to say, I got this stuff in me and I just think I want to get it on paper. And for even if it's just for my kids and my grandkids someday, you know, I just I just kind of want to get this stuff written down because it's things that I think I know or it's things that I think I've learned. Yes, yes, write that stuff down. Have a place where you can scribble it down and collect it, and then you'll sit down and you'll assemble it together, and it'll start taking form, and before you know it, people will be reading it going, this is great, this is great, you need to finish this. Am I right? Yeah. Has that uh... been your experience, Derek? Yeah, those things that, that make it personable, that make it memorable. Because whenever people read a book, they, they don't just want uh, to get information. They they want to be, I think, the best business books are not only informative, they, they have to, to deliver some real value. But they need to be interesting or even entertaining. People want to enjoy the, the experience. I mean, if you've got to go to the, the doctor's office, um, wouldn't it be nice to have a, a vaudeville act there while you were, were waiting? Well, and I, I think that's what we're doing. Oh, yeah. Doing now, with here's the thing. I'm going to tell you two things, and the first one is just my own observation as an ad writer, and the second one is um, information from the single uh, – Bard Press, my publisher, is far and away. There's not even a close second place the most successful business book publisher in the history of the world. Very few people realize this, but almost every year, the business book of the year is a Bard Press book. And he only publishes maybe two books, three books a year at the very, very most. And the reason he's the best there's ever been is more than 50% of all the books he has ever published have been New York Times bestsellers. Nobody else has even hit double digits. No other publisher in history has even hit 10% of all their books being New York Times bestsellers. He is over 50%. Now, I'm going to share something in just a minute that he said. But um, we have lunch from time to time. He's a very, very good friend. Now, what happened is, as an ad writer, I tell my clients all the time, people are less often looking for information You know, when they're on Google and they type in a search string, they're looking for information. But outside that moment, the the only currency that will purchase the time and attention of a too busy public, they're just too, too busy. The only currency that will purchase their time and attention is the currency of entertainment. And so you have to have entertainment. If it's entertaining, if it's funny, if it's lighthearted, if it's interesting, if it's, you know, uh, there's a mystery and then the mystery is solved, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. But if it's entertaining, if people are having a good time while they're reading this, then that's how you purchase their time and the time to, to, to learn things. So everybody thinks they have this information that's really valuable. Well, yeah, the whole world has information that's really valuable. 
But the stuff that actually gets read is the stuff that actually is kind of fun. Now, here's what Ray said that blew my mind. You ready, Derek? This is like gold. This is gold. One day, we were having lunch, and he said, Roy, he said, I've been studying, I mean, literally studying all the top-selling business books in history, the books that sold just vast numbers of copies. And he said, I noticed something. He said, this is really interesting. He said, they all have the same four ingredients. And he said, now, everybody has the first two. Everybody that ever had an idea for a nonfiction book, they always have the first two. But very, very, very few people have number three. And even fewer understand number four. And I said, well, what is it? He said, number one is a big idea. What's your big idea? And he said, everybody has a big idea. He said, I said, okay, what's number two? And he said, well, nuts and bolts. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, nuts and bolts are step-by-step, you know, explanations and examples and, uh, you know, illustrations. And, you know, you explain here's how you do the big idea. This is step-by-step, how-to kind of an explanation. Right. He said, no. Everybody has that. Everybody has a big idea. Everybody has step by step. Guess what number three was, Derek? Waiting in breath. Can you guess? All right. No idea. Entertainment. Story? Entertainment. Entertainment. Big idea, nuts and bolts, and then entertainment. He goes, very few. He says, everybody has the first two, but only the big winners have number three. And he said, but the biggest, biggest winners... Not, not only have number one, two, and three, but they also have number four. And I said, okay, what is that? And he said, hope. They deliver hope. And I said, define that for me. And Ray Bard said to me, he said, Roy, when you give them hope, you make them believe that next time can turn out different than last time. And tomorrow can be better than yesterday and the future can be better than the past because they now have this information. They have this perspective. They have been given this gift that you gave them. He said, when you give a person a big idea and then nuts and bolts, that's the easy part. But then you give them entertainment, you kick it up to a whole new level. And he said, and then you, if you add number four, if when they're done with that book, they feel like things are going to be different now. He said, that's literally when you sell millions of copies. And he said, having studied all the biggest books in history, that's what the biggest nonfiction books all have in common. They have number three and they have number four. And he says, most books just have number one and number two. Hope. I had not put that into the, into the equation. Like I said, it's gold. Now, here's what I told him. I said, Ray, that's just not true of books. That's true of everything, everything. I said, there is nothing that that's not true of. When you run a business, and I don't care what you're selling, a brick-and-mortar store, it doesn't matter what you're selling. If you have a big idea, and you have a step-by-step process of how to implement this big idea, and then you make it fun for people, and if they feel like things are going to be different now, now that I've been here, now that I've bought this, or now that I've done this, it's like, boy, howdy, things are going to be different now. You've given them hope. 
And I said, right, it's not just big books. It's the theory of being successful at anything. Now, remember, he, he originated this idea just studying business books. But that's – Ray is a deep introvert. He's almost a recluse. Very, very, very few people have ever met him. I'm totally serious. You have to find a, a – you have to have a helicopter to get to his house. And I went with him one time to the book show in New York, you know, the big NBN convention. Derek? It was crazy. We walked in, and we hadn't got 20 steps inside the uh, Jacob K. Javits Center in New York City. Millions of square feet. I mean, it's like you walk up and down the aisles all day, every day for three days without stopping. You still hadn't seen everything. One of those deals. And we got like 10, 20 steps inside the front door, and people started running. to get. They saw it was Ray Bard, and they started crowding around him. And I I was getting pushed back. I'm the only other person with him. I was getting pushed back, and I could, I could see him getting smaller and smaller in the distance as more and more people crowded around him. And I was like, Ray, help me. So I'm like drowning. I'm getting pushed back by this ocean of people. And so he had to force his way back through that crowd gathering around him and grab me by my hand and pull me back with him. And I'm going, he can't go anywhere because when he's around publishing people, when he's around other publishers and authors and stuff, they want to hang around with him and sit at his feet and listen to stuff because he's, he's even older than me. I'm an old guy, and he's older than me, and he's kind of like the guy that nobody ever gets to meet, and so he doesn't ever go to those things. But I'm telling you, that was the single most valuable thing he ever shared with me, and I said, we've hung out now for, well, since 1997, so 20 years, and um, I just thought I'd share that with your audience because they deserve to know that there's only four things they've got to be thinking about. A big idea, nuts and bolts, try to make it fun and make it entertaining, and give people hope. So let me let me throw a a, a curveball at you. You, mm-hmm. you. you had that that conversation, but then just last week, actually, you um, the the your most recent book, uh, "Be Like Amazon," even a lemonade stand can do it. Uh, came out. So I'd love to hear how you put those four things into uh, into your most recent book. Well, okay. Now, this is going to seem a little bit abstract for some people, but for some of your uh, podcast subscribers, they're going to enjoy this. So I'm going to go ahead and tell it like, like it really happened. Please do. My very best friend, Jeffrey Eisenberg, um, he and his brother have written some New York Times bestsellers, and they were always a little bit textbook feeling, but they were very valuable. And then they came out to the academy, and they spent a day presenting a bunch of information to me about Amazon.com and how any company, even if you're not an online company, even if you're just a brick-and-mortar lemonade stand, you can – Use the four principles that made Amazon.com the um, the first company, or the fastest company to ever hit $100 billion a year. Now, do you realize that they launched Amazon.com the same, same year I started writing the Monday Morning Memo? 23 years ago. And they're doing over $100 billion a year. Did you know that the stock market value of Amazon.com is more than double the market value for Walmart? Oh. 
That's how much that company is worth. And how they did it is real obvious, and it'll work for anybody, not just uh, not just you know online companies. It has nothing to do with being online. And so they presented this information, and I said, guys, I love this information, but you're writing another textbook. And they said, well, what do you suggest? And I said, you can really give a lot of people hope, and you can really give them a lot of step-by-step instruction uh, using Amazon as a highly credible example. And I said, but you got to tell it like a story. And they said, well, we don't know how to do that. And I said, well, do you just trust me to write this book for you? And they said, yeah. Now, I had the good sense, Derek, to put microphones on everybody and to record this whole eight-hour day. Now, that uh, transcript, we had it transcribed. You know, you can upload those, those, those MP3s and have it transcribed into, you know, an edit, uh, Word document for just pennies. And so I had that done. It was over 40,000 words. Well, the finished book's only 22,000. And uh, so I had the transcript and I had the PowerPoint that they had shown me. I had all this information. And then I wrote the book. So, of course, we're giving people hope because we're telling them how they can use the principles that built Amazon.com in any business, even if it's a lemonade stand. Any business can use these principles, and they always, always work. But then to make it entertaining, there's a... There's a famous story by Ernest Hemingway called Hills Like White Elephants. You can go online right now and find it. It takes about 11 minutes to read it. And if you, if you, if you read Hills Like White Elephants, here's what you'll notice, Derek. You'll notice there is no omniscient narrator. Hemingway never tells you why a person said what they said or what they meant by it or how they were feeling when they said it or how it made the other person feel, the only thing that Hemingway ever, ever tells you is what you would have seen with your own eyes if you had been sitting at the next table at this train station and what you would have heard with your ears. But he gives you no speculation. He, he doesn't. There's no narrator that knows things that, that are inserted. Just nope. Just, just a simple recording of what happened and no speculation of any kind. Well, I decided I'm going to tell the story about two guys on a road trip. And at the end of the story, the old man is just telling the younger man, you know, giving him some advice. And the younger man is all pissed off at first, and he's really giving him all kinds of pushback. And you can sense the tension. And so it's a a dialogue. Literally, it is a conversation between two people in a car on a long road trip. Now, Derek, you've been on long road trips, haven't you? More than I, more than I want to remember. But if you have somebody with you, don't you have some of the best conversations of your whole life on a long road trip with one other person in the car? In fact, that's the one thing that I look forward to now that I'm married, me and my wife being on a long road trip. We have some of our best, most meaningful conversations, just having to sit, you know, one foot from each other for hours and hours upon it. And so, Derek, that's why I did it. That's exactly why I did it. I decided, this old man and this younger man, in the story, you're never told their real names. You only know their nicknames for each other. 
you're never positive what their relationship is because the, the narrator, there is no narrator to tell you what the relationship was. But most people say the younger one's probably the grandson of the old one. But there's no way to know that for sure. But it's kind of what you suspect. You don't know where they're going, what they plan to do when they get there, what they do for a living, what the problem is that needs to be solved. You're never told any of that. And it really doesn't matter to you at all. You just know that the young man is very, very frustrated and kind of, kind of scared, and the old man is trying to talk him down from that. And like I said, there's a lot of conflict between them. There's some arguments, and there's some stuff that's really, really funny. But there's only two characters in the whole book, just a conversation. The whole book is a conversation between an old man and a young man in a car uh, on a road trip together. And what I'm saying is, for that reason, it's very entertaining. It's a lot of fun to read. It gives you hope because it tells you that you can, you can definitely use the same principles that built Amazon.com. There's only four of them. And Jeff Bezos has publicly talked about this forever, for over 20 years. And the only people really paying attention to what Jeff Bezos was saying was Jeffrey and Brian Eisenberg. And so the book came out last week. It's doing astoundingly well. It took minutes for it to completely sell out. And then... Um, Amazon.com placed an order for this vast number of copies because they're getting all these orders for it. And it'll be another couple of days. The books will be there, and they'll start going out again. But um, it's, it's going to be hugely successful. And like I said, it's a short little bit. Most people, Derek, are reading that sucker cover to cover without putting it down. 22,000 words you can read in about an hour, okay, hour and 15 minutes maybe. And everybody is saying the exact same thing. They're saying, man, I'm so glad I read that, and it was so much fun, and I learned so much, and so much came at me so quickly. And I'm going, yeah, that's the idea. Make it entertaining. Give people hope. There's a big idea, and there's nuts and bolts, but that's the easy part. The big idea and the nuts and bolts, everybody gets that. Did you find any value in that, or was I just on a long rant? No, I, I love that. Well, Roy, what I love about your, your, your whole approach is is not one of the things that I, I find that gets in the way of, of people writing great business books is to some degree it's, it's fear fear that uh, they're going to be too unconventional or fear of how people are going to receive it or fear that other people think that they're a, a fraud and and what I love is that there's a for me there's a noticeable absence in in any of that you're talking about uh, these awesome stories you're talking about, being optimistic, being forward-thinking about the, the grand vision, and that's, that comes across, that, that feel comes across in, in your books. You, you feel whenever you're finished reading any of these books that, that, that there is hope for the, the future, that there's this wonderful thing to go out there and, and, and see that comes across in, in your books, and I think that's one of the reasons that um, – that they're so great to, to read because you don't you're very honest and genuine. You don't hold any anything back. This is this is uh, well, uh, Derek. Thank you for saying that, but I'm going to tell you where that comes from. And hopefully your your listeners will find some value in this. But I'll tell you what I think is the most important thing. And this <laughs> Ray Bard, my my publisher, still gets very frustrated with this. But um, my only goal ever when writing a book 
really in the deep, deep, deep secret parts of my heart. My only goal is for the book to exist. It's written down. It exists. And if anybody ever wanted to know what I thought maybe mattered, they can find it. They can read it. But the fact that it's out of my head and it's on that paper and it's permanent and it will be there after I'm gone, that's all I care about. That's it. The end. Now, that really frustrates Ray. Now, see, that's how come I have no fear. That frustrates Ray. But I have no fear because, hey, when I'm done, there it is. It exists. There it is. That book exists. And I'm done. I don't care anymore. And Ray goes, see, whenever he called me one morning, he told me we'd made the New York Times bestsellers list. He was disappointed that I wasn't just like overjoyed. But you see, I had already had my big moment of joy when the book was printed and it existed. That's when I had my celebration. Oh, we made the bestsellers list. Wow. Huh. Never figured I'd be a bestselling author. That's weird. And he's kind of like, man, I thought you'd be happier than that. I go, well, you know, it's just not a, it's not a goal that oh, I have. Yeah. It's not a thing that – it's not a thing for it's me. It's almost unexpected, yeah. Oh, this is – It's like, yeah, okay, so that's fine. But, you know, here's what I'm writing now. I have this other thing I think I want to say. And he goes, well, hey, why don't we, like, really promote this book? It's, it's really gaining momentum. I'm going, nah, that one's already written. That one's already written. I'm, I'm not interested in that one anymore. It already exists. And so I just wanted to share with people – when you have all these hopes and expectations that people are going to love you and adore you and worship at your feet and ask you for advice and look up to you, well, you're just sick. Get over that. Don't think that way. If you have something that you believe maybe might have valuable to somebody else, might be valuable to other people someday, somewhere, somebody might benefit from this. And you think, man, this is what I've learned or it's what I think I know or it's something that really works for me and it might work for other people too. Write it down so that it is permanent, so that it doesn't die when you die. Write it down. And if that's your goal is to help somebody else, you will have a successful book. And you will have so much pride in that book, and you'll be so glad you wrote that book. But if you have any other hopes or expectations, then I don't know what to tell you because all that stuff is speculative. And I do tell people all the time, I said, you know what, if you write a business book, the truth is you're not actually going to make any money on that book. You can make a fortune, I mean a breathtaking fortune, because of the book. But the book itself, when you write, when you write nonfiction, is not where the money is. The money is because of the book, because people found it and they were helped, and now – they, they want more. They want something from you that they're happy to pay for. I love that um, that, that frame of, of, of mind, Roy, because I've uh, – not so much uh, these days, I guess, because of, uh, because of better marketing, too, and, and no small part to, to following a lot of your uh, stuff. But uh, yeah, whenever I first started out ghostwriting, I had – it seemed like every other phone call was some, you know, young guy, sometimes a woman, but mostly a young guy. Uh, you know, I've got this great idea for a book. I want it to be a New York Times bestseller. They, they're, 
I don't want to say obsessed, but their almost their first thought was, you know, the the, the fame and the fortune, the glory, the 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 bragging rights of of being, uh, you know, Wall Street Journal or New York Times bestseller. And it's just the wrong place to to start a, a book. And maybe you know, I take this a little bit further than than some people would, but I, I think a book is almost a, a sacred thing. There, there's a a, an implicit trust that whenever somebody picks up a, a book, that they are entrusting their time and, and opening themselves to the author for the author to give them something worth having. And if your primary goal in writing the book is not for the reader at all, but just for uh, the the bragging rights or just for the metrics of success that that can come from it, then you you're already starting off the the relationship um, as a manipulation because you just you don't you know, really Derek, care about I agree with I agree with what you said ten thousand percent. Now I'm gonna go way 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 out on a limb here, but I want to remind you that you went down this path first, okay? <laughs> and and um, what you said about how you think a book is almost a sacred thing. Is it okay if I go 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 down that 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 road just a little bit? And if if you think it's inappropriate, you can edit it out. How's that? Boy, um, look, you you are my raid bard. Okay, I'm sitting at the feet of the master, listening to. All right, now listen. Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing, and this will this will irritate some people, and I apologize in advance. Okay, but I realized many 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 years ago. There's a weird thing. One day I was reading in the Gospel of John in the Bible. And in the Gospel of John, he skips the begats. You know, the begats, or this person begat this person who begat this person who begat this person. It's the genealogy, right? I think it's Matthew and it's Luke that give the genealogy of Jesus. Now, John doesn't do that. John says in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him, the Word. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, in that moment, Derek, it hit me. Hey, that's basically what Genesis tells us. God spoke, I think in like 27 verses in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, let there be this, let there be this, let there be this other thing. And then finally, he creates man, me and you, in his own image. Now, okay, I'm not trying to get religious. I apologize, but you're the one that said words in a book are like sacred. Well, I'm just reinforcing that. I'm reinforcing that because here's why. So God speaks a universe into existence, okay? And then he said in John, and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he's basically saying Jesus, in the Christian faith, was this thing that went out from God and was separate from God, but it revealed God. And so the relationship between Jesus and God the Father has always been the relationship of Father and Son – because Jesus was the word that went out from him when he said, let there be this and let there be that. And then in the book of Hebrews, I'm not trying to get weird, okay? But listen, in the book of Hebrews it says, now the word of God is living. It's alive. 
and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Huh. So in Hebrews, it's, it refers to the Word of God, and it refers to it as it being him. In his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so I, it hits me. Oh, so Jesus was the incarnate voice of God, what God said. And then here's where it really gets cool. This is the coolest part for me. We were made in his image. And what that means to me, to me, Derek, is that when you say words, you are doing the thing that makes you like God. God spoke a universe into existence. And we can do that too. When we say words and when we write down words, we're speaking things into the mind and the imagination of another person. And when they see in their mind what we want them to see, and when they feel in their heart what we want them to feel, we have spoken a new reality. We've spoken a new world. We've spoken all new possibilities into the mind and the heart of our fellow man. And I'm saying so... When you write a book, Derek, it is a sacred thing. You are actually, if you're of the Christian faith, you are being like God. You're doing the thing that makes you like him. It's, you're in the image of God when you're creating these new possibilities and these future possible worlds in the mind of the reader. And when you're giving them hope. And, and you're giving them a step-by-step -step about how to do this. You're giving a whole entirely new possible future. You're speaking into existence in a miniature sort of way. I'm not saying that we're equal to God. Please don't think I'm saying that. But in a little <laughs> miniaturized way, you know what I'm saying? We are speaking this, uh, this new reality into existence that if the reader decides to follow it, things will be different for them. And they, there will be a different life and a different outcome, and they'll live in a different world with different circumstances. And so I'm saying, yes, Derek, I don't think it's weird when you say writing a book is a sacred thing. I'm saying when you're writing a book or when you're making a speech or when you're communicating something to somebody, you're doing exactly what you were made to do. You were made in the image of God, and now you're doing the thing that made him God. Oh, yeah. I've thought about it like that. I mean, that, that places a whole new level of of responsibility on us. Whenever we open our mouths to speak, whenever we put words on on a page that we meet for other people to read, and especially in the form of a of a of a book where we're conveying something, uh, we're imparting a piece of ourselves. It behooves us to take that incredibly seriously because if people accept what we're saying, if if they open their their minds and, and their hearts and their spirits. To the the words that are on the page, then it's going to it's going to influence. It's going to to some degree it's going to change their life. And so if we have that influence, then we should take it incredibly seriously. And you know what, Derek, my highest hope for your listeners is that everybody will do exactly that. That number one, they are a different person than any other person on the face of the earth. Number two. They have had different experiences and different influences than any other person on the face of the earth. Number three, 
those experiences and those influences and the conclusions that they've arrived at because of those influences, those have value for other people. Those can help other people. And if they just say, okay, I'm going to write this stuff down and I'm going to put it out there for anybody that thinks it's valuable. Good, good. That's a good and worthy thing to do. And your children will thank you and your grandchildren will thank you and your great-great-grandchildren will be proud that you did it. And you made a difference in the world that you will never know about until God tells you about it on the other side. An awesome place to, to end. That is a high note. It's been a wonderful, it's been a wonderful few minutes, Derek. Thanks, thanks for having me be here. It has absolutely been my my pleasure. Uh, so, Roy, um, I um, hopefully Amazon will have the uh, be like Amazon. <laughs> hopefully, Amazon will have be like Amazon um, in in stock. I'm going to go get a copy for for myself. Um, and if anybody wants to to follow Roy, still every Monday, the Monday Morning Memo, you can sign up at mondaymorningmemo.com. And uh, Wizard Academy has all kinds of incredible classes, everything from copywriting to the uh, to the, the, the to whiskey branding and, and selling to uh, uh, reputation uh, tool crafters was the the class I went to last year. All of that is at uh, wizardacademy.org. If you're in Austin on your way to the uh, Salt Lake, do yourself a favor. Stop by uh, the campus. They have regular business hours, and it, it is worth the trip. It is it is amazing. Allison Wonderland meets Richard Branson out west. It is worth the trip by itself. Roy, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Well, Derek, I've had a delightful time. I think this might be the favor, my favorite interview I've ever done. I appreciate you having the courage to say that a book is a sacred thing because I wouldn't have brought that up if you hadn't. Boy, you, you don't know how much that, that means to me. I really appreciate that. Wow. Till next time, make sure I know it. The next time you're going to be in Austin, we'll go eat some barbecue together. That sounds like a plan. All right.